I'm Xander Wilson, and welcome to another episode of the Silver Bullet Podcast. This podcast is about lessons learned in running a business, with a strong focus on startup founders and CEOs. It's all about finding out what gaps these disruptors have identified in the market, what they're doing differently to their competitors, and of course, to find out their silver bullet for business success. On today's episode of the Silver Bullet Podcast, I'm chatting with Daniel Pilbro, the CEO of Australian telehealth and smart care technology company, IntelliCare. During the podcast, we chat about his journey from clinician to executive and why purpose-driven delivery of care has been at the core of his career to date. Daniel, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, mate. Nice to be here. So just to start with, uh, tell us a bit about IntelliCare, um, maybe go, going back to, to how the company began and, and, then, and then how you uh, ended up being on board. Yeah, uh, thanks, Xander. Um, IntelliCare is a, a SaaS technology company um, that focuses in, in the, the broader healthcare sector, but particularly the aged and disability sectors. Um, it's built on a, a, a proprietary Internet of Things platform using smart sensors, so, but, but, but unobtrusive smart sensors in, in someone's home, so things like um, motion sensors and sensors on the door, uh, sensors maybe on a piece of equipment that might be you know, switched on, like a kettle or a microwave. And th- that information coming from those sensors comes into our um, IoT platform and effectively builds a picture um, of an individual um, who might be um, someone who's, who's, who's older, an older person or someone living with a disability or attempting to live independently with a disability. And it builds, a, a, I suppose, a picture of that person's normal behaviours, normal activities and sort of normal health and well-being. Um, and so it learns the artificial intelligence in it, learns that person's normal routines so that when things might step outside of those normal routines, um, our platform can, can notify a next of kin or a loved one or a care provider for care providers involved in that person's care, uh, and uh, can alert them or notify them that something's changed and uh, give them an opportunity to, to intervene or to change a care plan, ultimately to, to provide someone with a better healthcare outcome or a better health and wellbeing outcome. Uh, been going for a no, number of years, started um, by two founders in Perth, uh, one guy who, uh, who's currently the chief technology officer, um, who's been in the, in the business from the start, uh, and it was very much around solving a problem around his mum and you know, providing that peace of mind to him and his family about mum's uh, normal um, routines and, you know, and the fact that she was living in a distant place. So how could they get, um, I suppose, the information to help make sure that she was okay? So that's where it all began. And, and you've only been with the company for a relatively short amount of time. How has it been coming on board, adapting and joining the company? And, and how have you found, I guess, you know, this, it, it seems like a company that's really got a mission here uh, to, to be doing good. Is, is that also an important part of, I guess, the value of being there for you? Yeah, look, that's probably been a thing. Just answering that last bit first, I mean, that's probably been a theme through my entire career. Um, I began my career as a physiotherapist in the mid-90s. Um, and stayed within their public health system in initially clinical roles, but then into management and executive roles for a, a total of 20 years in the public system in Victoria, and then moved into the private sector, but um, again, still very much focused on purpose-driven, um, I suppose, uh, d- delivery of care or uh, um, models and systems that, that are providing better outcomes to people. Um, I most recently was working in private investment into the health and social care sector settings, both here in the UK um, and, oh, sorry, both here in Australia and in the UK. Um, and look, I think the theme associated with me has been 
how do we improve the care delivery to people? How do we make it better for them? And how do we make it better for the system as well? And I think that's where IntelliCare has got a lot to play, um, particularly as we go into an environment where you know, funding towards healthcare is, is, continues to grow and governments are always challenged by you know, how do they maintain that pace? Um, and then in a world right now with, um, and it's a worldwide uh, crisis or worldwide shortage, I suppose, of healthcare and, and care workers, um, it's how do we best deliver care? Uh, and I think that's really moving forward, a partnership between you know, the, the more traditional models of you know, and, and face-to-face care is, is the pinnacle, but how can we augment and uh, be an adjunct to that care through technology? How can technology help enable the best decision-making? And I think that was the thing that attracted me to IntelliCare is that um, the health system needs to embrace technology. Uh, I mean, when, and when I mean that, I mean the broader health system encompassing everything from um, hospital-based care down to, to community-based care uh, and primary care. Uh, I think technology has a part to play, and I think IntelliCare um, has a real, real good opportunity to, to help shape um, uh, care delivery with providers who are attempting to solve some of those problems. Yeah, absolutely. And and you, you did mention your background there briefly just as as a physio. Can you go maybe a bit into into I guess the journey that got you to, to where you are and, and and you know what what were your sort of first experiences in in leadership and also I guess on that, when did you first sort of identify, okay, there are some problems here, you know, I'd I'd love to be in a position where I can sort of help solve these issues that are I guess embedded in the healthcare system? Yeah, look, um, it probably started pretty early. I mean, I, I, I was very passionate about being physio and still am. I didn't uh, leave a career in physiotherapy because I didn't like it. I, I found that there was other options and other opportunities that the healthcare sector opened up. And I think particularly in, I've always been intrigued about how do you solve problems to deliver more effective and higher quality care. Um, and so early on, I made a move from being a, uh, a physiotherapist into project management in solving care problems and was largely focused on uh, looking at uh, models of care that could help people stay at home for longer rather than needing um, uh, acute level care in a hospital or an emergency department. So I I started running a program um, in the early 2000s in Victoria, initially around um, effective discharge planning. So when someone was coming to hospital, how we could make sure that we got the goals of care right and, and help move them into the place that was best for them. Um, and then that moved me into um, into looking at chronic diseases because a lot of people were coming into hospital with 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 probably poorly managed chronic diseases. And so, but how could we enable the community care and primary care settings to help best manage those people in their own environment? And so, we st- I started a program um, in Victoria. It was under a funding program in the government called HARP Hospital Admission Risk Program, and we ran that very successfully. Um, and it, it better outcomes for people because they were being managed in their community where they wanted to be rather than bouncing in around hospital. So that was sort of the thing that sort of led me out of being a clinician into project management. And then project management led me into management jobs and then then, then into executive jobs fairly quickly um, in the early 2000s. Um, I went back to university, studied a law degree for, for, for all my sins. Um, have never decided to use the law degree as a as a as a lawyer, but uh, certainly the, the training and the rigor that I was taught was uh, was really helpful in everything that I do now. Uh, and then, yeah, um, I suppose my first big executive job was um, in Melbourne uh, at a big cancer hospital called the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre, and I was the executive director of um, redevelopment strategy, uh, focusing on a, on a big new billion dollar hospital, uh, which um, I was recruited to assist in writing the business case or to get the business case across the line and get government signed up to 
um, contributing quite a significant sum of cash, and we ended up with a billion-dollar project that has uh, delivered uh, spade in spades since, just because of the quality of the outcome um, of that project, but also the reach for that for that organisation and its partners in terms of delivering high-quality uh, and research-driven um, uh, cancer care. Um, so yeah. That was probably the thing that, that really kicked me forward in, in a leadership role. Uh, and then since then, I'm, I moved to the private sector in fairly senior roles, first for a project finance company that focused on public-private partnerships in the healthcare city, system, um, and then into uh, AMP Capital, where I was working in their infrastructure equity um, investment team, where we were focusing on investments in the social care system, uh, aged care here in Australia and disability care in, in the UK. So I had spent just under two years um, working with a disability su support provider in, in the UK, uh, which was a great experience. And it's, it's really broadened my eyes, I think, that, that experience, particularly going, um, most of my background was, was health and then obviously aged care and health are, are fairly aligned. Um, and also having had a clinical um, experience as a physio, dealing a lot, a lot with, uh, I suppose, diseases and, and, and the challenges of ageing. Um, I hadn't had a lot to do with the disability sector um, in, a, in a clinical role or in a management role. And so the, the time in the UK really opened my, my eyes up to the, the, the opportunities, I think, that, um, and particularly that technology can play in that space as well. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question, and you've sort of jumped into it already, but um, obviously, you know, experiences working in different countries, you can quite often experience, you know, different ways that the same issues are <laughs> are approached um, in different markets. Um, what were the main differences you identified in, I guess, how the, the part of healthcare you're working in is, is addressed there, and, and how did it inform how you moved ahead with with your career in Australia now? Yeah, um, I Looking at the UK um, system for social care, it's much more um, divested. While the funding initially comes through the through the, the government, um, uh, through the British government, it's divested and administ administered through um, uh, local councils or local authorities, as they call them over there. And so you you have almost different subcontracts. If you're providing care in that space, you have different subcontracts with every different local authority, which is both uh, a positive and a negative, I think. Uh, versus in Australia, I mean, our, our aged disability sectors are very disability sectors are very centralised, um, with all aged care funding for for home based care uh, and for residential care coming through the federal Department of Health and Aging, and and obviously disability funding coming through the NDIA and the NDIS. Um, I think no, both models. There's there's good bits, and and I think there's there's opportunities for for improvements. Um, uh, I wouldn't say one is necessarily better than the other, but I think what I learnt from my UK experience, particularly no, uh, again broadening my view into the disability sector, the broader disability sector, really focusing. I and mean, what the UK is really focusing on, and as Australia is, is, is supporting people to live as independently as they can. And uh, I think uh, my experience in the UK was there was lots of, um, dis uh, I suppose, lots of discussion and, and um, desire to get um, further advanced into assistive technology. I probably, in the role I was in, didn't have a lot of one-to-one -one with that, but heard my colleagues talking through it. Uh, coming back here and then when Italicare um, were, were looking for a CEO, what piqued my interest was um, that, I think this is fairly new for providers, care providers, to to invest in in care technology or health in technology in the in their in their care space. And I think um, part of that is that is the dialogue that 
that care providers and tech providers need to have together. It's a partly a, you know, how can this tech develop to support your needs and support the things you're trying to solve as the care provider? Um, and I think that's a, a, we're early phase in that. And I think that's one of the things that we're doing at IntelliCare is working closely with our providers, our B2B providers that we've got relationships with to, to really help them address their problems rather than us thinking we know how to solve their problems. Actually, we've got to work that sort of um, that conversation together so that the technology that we have can help them solve the problems they need and help ultimately uh, deliver the best opportunity for, for independent living or for high care outcomes for those that um, are being provided the care. Yeah, and getting back into IntelliCare itself, obviously as CEO, you have a remit, you know, across a lot of things. One of those is is company culture. When you reflect back on your past experiences, both here and overseas, um, were there any things from, you know, the previous places you worked that that you wanted to replicate culture-wise at IntelliCare? And, and on the flip side, were there any, I guess, business or cultural practices you wanted to avoid? I, I think the simplest thing to say there is that, to me, um, I've always uh, reveled myself as an employee or as an executive reporting to a CEO in strong team culture, um, where where there is a, a trust and respect, and people are employed to uh, because they're they're, they're the, at the top of their game in the in the work they do. Um, but actually, it's a, it, the the diversity of view, the diversity of opinion is is um, is respected and um, and valued and and almost chaperoned. That know that that actually a company culture that that, that values differences of viewpoint ultimately helps get to solving problems, I think, in a faster and better way. So I've had numerous examples where I've really worked in what I would call pretty high-performing teams. And that's generally been led by a CEO who is open to um, to, to, to their direct reports or their executive team being pretty, um, that's the right word, I think pretty, pretty focused on what they're doing, but also um, able to contribute across the the swimming lanes that they might be involved in. I think that's probably where I've seen the best success is that while I might be, as an executive, I might have been employed with a particular swim lane, but actually where we had the best outcomes is where the executive team were able to actually respectfully query each other about uh, the work that we were doing so that we could actually get to the best possible outcome as a team. And I think team is the key thing for me. And I think, but what underpins that is clear purpose. If you've got a clear purpose, then you can bring the, the talent and, and that team together and, and trust each other that that, um, that that team can actually solve problems together. Um, and it goes back to the old football analogies, and I hate to use footballisms and stuff, and my early career was in AFL um, in the private sector um, alongside my hospital career. Um, but no, the best performing teams are not necessarily the teams that uh, have the have on paper the the people who might be the the best champions. I think the best performing teams are the best performing teams because they know how to work as a team. Yeah, and obviously Intellicare is a listed company as well, trading under the ticker ICR on the ASX. Had you had much experience working within or for a listed business before? And and what's been the biggest learning curve for you on that side of things? Yeah, look, uh, certainly um, my only experience working for an ASX listed company was my time with AMP Capital, um, who's under under the parent of AMP. But uh, I mean, in a big organisation like that, I wasn't privy to to the ins and outs of of ASX. Uh, uh, I suppose the 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 the, the, the needs and and challenges of and, and opportunities in an ASX environment 
enables or, or poses. So coming into a into a, a smaller ASX company um, as CEO, um, I mean I've done acting CEO jobs in the past, um, but in in the the listed environment, this was obviously a completely new experience. But something that I reveling in because you know, I like a challenge and I like learning, and so there's certainly lots of learning to do in the ASX environment that I hadn't yet been. Um, uh, not been exposed to, um, which I'm learning along the way. And I, I certainly, certainly um, enjoy those sorts of challenges to, to develop my own skill set at the same time. Um, but obviously, the, the nuances of ASX and, and listed companies is that no, you've got a fair bit of compliance to do, which um, is, is really important. We want to make sure we do that correctly, uh, but at the same time, continue on the strategic focus that an organisation like ours needs. So it's, a, it's finding that right balance between the two. Um, and you know, keeping your eye on all of the balls at the same time and being able to juggle, I think, is, the, is the, one of the key skill sets that you got to have. Yeah, definitely. And just looking back at the last couple of years, I mean, I know you've only been on board with the business for a few months, but, but what sort of impact did and does the ongoing pandemic have on IntelliCare? What sort of challenges? And, and I guess more broadly, if you're happy to speak to it, what's the legacy of the pandemic for, for the business and the aged care industry more broadly? So I'd say the challenges that it probably posed, and I can only look at this uh, on reflection and from the handover I had from from my predecessors, that uh, IntelliCare listed uh, pretty early on um, when the COVID pandemic started. So we listed in May 2020. Obviously, COVID uh, in Australia uh, sort of started really taking shape probably in February, March. I was on, I was in the UK, so it sort of hit us a little bit earlier at that time. Uh, and I think the challenge for IntelliCare at that point was... Um, was getting into uh, aged care uh, providers and and getting airtime. There were so many other fr- uh, so many other things for for care providers to be focused on, uh, and not least, no uh, care providers weren't like weren't weren't looking towards face to face visits. Everything was that probably then turned into virtual. So that that probably created some challenges in terms of getting um, track uh, or, or getting getting traction. Um, early um, uh, and I think that slowed probably slowed out our, our, our sort of strategic plan a little bit I think the the thing that, that the pandemic has done though is I think it's it's escalated it's trampolined us into a different space which is care providers are far probably far more um, open to looking at technology and, and wanting to look at technology maybe than they probably would have been otherwise and I think that's a real opportunity for for the sector, and it's a real opportunity for for tech providers like us because there's there's a different conversation I think that we can have now because um, uh, one we're much more comfortable doing something like this where we're doing this conversation over a over a virtual environment um, that was sort of you know, back in the day before COVID um, you know, people were still you know, jumping in taxis and flying around planes and doing lots of stuff virtually uh, so it's face to face i think just that nature that we can have these conversations we can actually do commercial deals without necessarily even being physically present but more so the way care is going to be delivered into the future um, i think COVID has probably helped escalate the uh, the timing of that or accelerate the timing of that than than would have otherwise been the case yeah and just i guess looking at the next six to twelve months <laughs> What does that look like for IntelliCare? Where would you like to see yourselves a year, two years down the track? And, and you know, what, what, what can people sort of like look out for in terms of the company? 
Yeah, look, and I, I think I've come on at a really, really good time. Um, uh, my predecessor and and the and the board up until this point have really set the company up really, really well for that next phase of growth, and that's the plan we're in. So we've developed some really good partnerships um, in the B two B space. Uh, probably just worthwhile reflecting when IntelliCare started, uh, the strong focus was business to consumer. Um, we've taken a bit of a strategic shift over the course of the last twelve to eighteen months, and probably you know. My, my focus is very much on 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 B two B. Not to say that we no, don't don't still have the channel for direct to consumer um, opportunities, but our, our our strong focus is, as I said before, working closely with providers to help them solve the problems they're needing to solve. And so we've got a number of uh, pilots running across um, various parts of the country. Uh, the company started in Perth, so we've got some strong relationships in Perth, but developing new relationships in the east coast at the same time. Uh, and so yeah, we've got a number of pilots running. Uh, initially started in the home care space uh, and more recently gone into the disability uh, and supported dis disability accommodation space. And then we've just started our first trial into residential care recently in Perth. So, um, and soon we'll have a second residential aged care trial in play as well. So I think the next uh, 12 months or six to 12 months is very much around um, building on the existing relationships and then really, um, uh, I suppose, Building the pipeline for for new relationships in in all three all, all three of those sub segments of the of the healthcare space, um, uh, and yeah, really really getting the the product more and more out there and and more in people's homes and more in people's businesses in terms of the B two B space, so that we can one help people live uh, as independently and, and live as, as the best life that they can, but two help providers be uh, able to deliver more effective and, um, and, and higher quality care or support the delivery of higher quality care with new care models. And I think ultimately, if we can do all of that, then that brings back a value back to the shareholder. Yeah. And to my final question, which is the namesake of this podcast being, what is your silver bullet for business success? And and just to note, it doesn't even have to be a business practice. Quite often people come on here and say it's getting up and going for a run in the morning. It could be you know, a culture thing, something that you hold on to in terms of your values. Essentially, what do you think you know has helped you get to this point and succeed um, perhaps over others that, that haven't? I think uh, in each of the roles I've had, and I've had a variety of different roles in different sectors, I think uh, it's being passionate about what you're doing as the leader um, and having a clear purpose as an organisation that the people in the team and the people working in the organisation can really, really latch onto and hold hold very clear and, and very close to themselves. So if you can build that passionate, we're, we're all here to do the same thing, then I think that gives one of the, the best things as a leader, because you've got a team that's, that's passionate about um, delivering high quality outcomes but you also end up with an organization that that can kick its goals and, and achieve the the goals that have been set or that are being set for it so i think they're the probably the, the two key things is clarity of purpose and then being passionate finding passionate individuals to to really latch on and, and grab hold of that purpose and i think then coming back to your comment about you know, what are the other success things i think balance um uh, the, I think the older you get, the more you realise that working hard isn't just the uh, isn't the solution. Working, and I hate again idioms and 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 and, and phrases, but no, working smarter. But really, to me, it's balance. It's, it's having you know, a balance in life and in work, um, and having outside interests and encouraging your staff and your teams to to have balance because no. The solution sometimes isn't always just, oh, we've got to do more hours or we've got to do more of this. It's it's actually we've got to take time out. We've got to work as a team more effectively. We've got to trust each other. And a lot of that balance comes through time out, time outside of work. 
So I've, I've always, as a leader, had really strong relationships, but but clear relationships with my team around expectations. But um, we've always tried to have fun at work as well, and I think that's really important. You've got to enjoy what you're doing. You've got to sort of want to bounce out of bed, and if you can bounce out of bed and come to work, you're going to succeed in my view. Yeah, passion's definitely the key. Well, Daniel Pilbro, CEO at IntelliCare, thanks so much for joining me today. No problem. Thanks, Sandra.